Kia ora, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my daily podcast that goes out with an email newsletter sometime in the morning via the Kaka, which is my Substack. This is the one that's designed for paying subscribers. Today, I am going to open it up to everyone just to give you a sense of what you get. Uh, because I'm going to put out a special offer today only of 50% off for an annual subscription, particularly because of the launch of Notes, Substack's um, version, if you like, of Twitter. Much better, by the way, than Twitter. And uh, I'd like to start off by saying every day I look at what's happening in Aotearoa's political economy with a particular focus on climate change in action housing unaffordability and prop and poverty reduction. So that means I look at everything through that lens. Are we achieving an improvement in housing affordability? Have we started doing something about climate change? And are we actually reducing poverty in Aotearoa? And look at some of the options to actually change things and improve things. Today I wanted to look at the news that's happened in the last day or so around particularly Three Waters, around medium density residential standards, so this is densification rules for our bigger cities, and what's happening with our emissions and whether or not our government is doing enough to reduce our emissions. So the, the main news this morning it comes out of newsroom. Tim Murphy reports that David Parker has written a letter to Angela Dalton, who is on the Auckland Council, to say that Auckland will have one more year to embed the medium density residential standards into its unitary plan. Why should we care? Well, the MDRS, or as I call it, Townhouse Nation rules, allow the creation of three-storey townhouses, and three of them, on a regular section without the need for a resource consent. And this is part of a generalised push across our big cities to densify them, i.e. make sure we have plenty of medium-density housing, so townhouses, apartments, close to the centres of town, so that we can avoid having big old motorways sprawling forever, pumping out lights, lots of emissions. This is hard because a lot of the people who live close to town are in relatively leafy suburbs on sections. To be fair, though, in Auckland, most of which have already been infilled. But still, uh, single-storey, uh, single-detached homes on land close to the centre of town. And many of those people are against the densification moves. Well, we, of course, had the massive floods in uh, late January and February in Auckland as well as many other places and the council asked for more time to embed these rules into the uh, unitary plan. I remember of course that Christchurch revolted <laughs> over the unitary plan uh, MDRS moves as well and uh, actually got away with simply not bringing it in for quite some time and then watering it down when they did. Remember just to step back a bit this is all about a push to densify our cities to deal with climate change and to hopefully make our housing more affordable. Essentially, if we're going to deal with our problems around housing affordability, uh, climate change in action and child poverty reduction, we have to A, build lots and lots of houses which are warm and dry and don't produce many emissions, 
close to the centres of town or where people work and study and play so that they can use walking and cycling and uh, electric buses and trains to get to and from work and to get around their daily lives. And the costs of those houses need to be much lower than they are now. To do all that, we need someone to invest in building these and providing the infrastructure for them. And at the moment, neither the central government or the local government want to do that. And voters, the ones who matter, the median voters who own homes in the suburbs, actually don't want any of this to change. It's all about leveraging tax-free gains on residential land values. That's how you get rich in New Zealand. And if you change that situation by taxing that wealth, either through a capital gains tax or a land tax, then you break the fundamental uh, economic model uh, for those who own assets in New Zealand. And this is the fundamental issue. Unless we deal with this, we're not going to deal with our housing affordability, climate change or poverty issues. And uh, it's very frustrating to see that effectively weather events caused by climate change are frustrating attempts to try and deal with climate change. So that's the the big news today. Elsewhere, the Climate Commission came out yesterday and in a very bureaucratic way called bullshit on the government's lack of action on climate change, essentially saying the bread and butter policies are killing the planet. And uh, this is in part because of the uh, uh, various advice given by the Commission to the government, which it ignored, uh, in particular at the end of last year when it did not change the emissions trading scheme in a way that the um, commissions recommended would uh, reduce emissions. And uh, the government did that to avoid an increase in petrol prices. And uh, quite rightly, the Climate Commission, which is there to um, keep the government honest on achieving its Zero Carbon Act targets, came out and called bullshit on the government yesterday. Um, the government doesn't care because it wants to get re-elected and because... Again, the median voters are much more interested in petrol prices than they are in whether or not we achieve our emissions targets. It's unfortunate because actually they'll have to pay for it in the end. As a Treasury report that emerged this week shows, when uh, we don't reduce our emissions, we incur essentially a liability under the Paris Agreement uh, by which we have to pay to buy carbon credits or emissions credits overseas. Now, there aren't markets for these at the moment. Treasury is budgeting to spend $3 billion a year on these emissions credits overseas, rather than spend them on, for example, building houses or uh, um, the infrastructure needed to reduce our own emissions. Does anyone really believe that a government is going to spend $3 billion on credits overseas? Treasury does. Uh, anyway, um, essentially, this is all kicking the pain into the future and somewhere else so that voters now don't have to deal with it. So um, the Climate Commission has said uh, you need to do this uh, or you're going to miss your targets and that will cost money because as we discovered this week, Treasury and the Ministry for the Environment have estimated the costs could be up to $24 billion for these credits. So in effect, um, the government has decided not to spend money or take political pain now, knowing that they will have to spend money and take political pain later. The most important word in that phrase is later, as in when some other government is in charge and has to deal with the issue. 
So um, that's on the climate change issue. Elsewhere, we have a report from the Reserve Bank uh, yesterday, a piece of research by Andrew Coleman, who is an excellent uh, researcher economist who's working for the Reserve Bank at the moment. He's done a deep dive into why it is house prices in New Zealand rise when interest rates fall. Turns out we don't produce enough houses. Why is that? Because we're not investing in the infrastructure in our cities to uh, allow those houses to be built or allow the land to be available for them to be built on. Why is that? Because it actually makes sense if you own that land to restrict the ability of others to use that land to build houses on. Why? Because, again, it's all about leveraged gains on the value of land, which are tax-free. And uh, until we solve that problem, it's going to be very difficult to solve those other problems, in my view. So Andrew Coleman's done the research. It's a very good uh, note, and I'd recommend reading it. There's a link in the email to that note. Elsewhere, the client, the Infrastructure Commission has put, has just announced that they're going to do a 14-month study into what is a fair way to deal with this issue of um, the need to build infrastructure or change the way we use it and charge for it so that we can actually fill some of the gaps we've got. Remember, the Infrastructure Commission has said that we have around about $100 billion in underinvestment from past population growth in our system. And you need to look at uh, the problems we have with our water and transport and emissions profiles uh, from that underinvestment connected to not investing enough to deal with population growth. And the Infrastructure Commission is doing this research to say, well, what's a fair way to deal with this? And remember, it's a $100 billion in underinvestment that we need to catch up on. And then there's another $100 billion that we have to spend on top of that to deal with expected population growth. And remember, this is the official expected population growth of about half a percent. But of course, remember, the actual population growth that we've had in the last 17 years or so was 1.5%. Uh, remember, 1.5% population growth for the next 60 years or so uh, would get us to around about um, 16 million people by 2100. And remember, much of the infrastructure we're building now will still be in existence in 2100, let alone the houses. So um, are we investing enough for that? Clearly not. The Infrastructure Commission, though, essentially assumes that even to deal with the $200 billion in infrastructure investment needed, we cannot build it. So the argument is that um, we just can't afford it. Now, the costs of affording it would be about 10% of GDP per year in extra investment costs in public infrastructure. So that essentially means taking the government's share of GDP in taxes from around about 30% of GDP, which, remember, is the level that both main parties want it to stay at will be below, moving that from 30% of GDP to about 40% of GDP, which is where many other developed economies are at, the likes of Denmark and Sweden and those sorts of places. Um, and the Infrastructure Commission simply assumes, well, we can't do that because that would mean a tax increase, <laughs> which um, they're essentially making a, an assumption based on a piece of real politic or a political assumption that there's no way politicians will be able to get the public to agree to having higher taxes. Well, that's a political assumption made by a uh, planning and strategy uh, uh, agency, which is not supposed to be political. Um, I'll try to uh, have a chat with the Infrastructure Commission about their thinking on this. Um, 
and I can see why they've done it, and they're certainly being ordered to do it by their minister, um, which they would say they don't uh, take orders from ministers, but certainly they have to keep them in mind if they want to get reappointed. And, of course, they're talking about both sides of politics, um, and it's true, both sides of politics do not want to increase taxes from 30% of GDP to 40% of GDP, which, by the way, you'd, you'd really have to do with a wealth tax or some sort of land tax, unless, of course, you wanted to put up GST to 40% or something. And um, that um, all means that the Infrastructure Commission is doing this research into fairness, and uh, we'll try and keep an eye on that, because essentially they're going to argue that to make it fair, we have to use demand management to reduce the scale of the building, which is fair enough. And it's a perfectly legitimate and actually a very climate friendly thing to do to avoid building lots of motorways and tunnels and railways and hospitals and schools. If you can, because every time you build one of these things, that's an enormous amount of uh, carbon emissions embedded in the concrete and the steel. So if you can avoid it, that's a good idea. And certainly uh, emissions charges, congestion charges, water charges are a great way to manage demand. And uh, the problem is, though, of course, that politicians um, see the word congestion charges and immediately say tax increase. And it's very easy to weaponize tax increase as a way to either get elected or stay in power. So um, this is the basic problem here is that the Infrastructure Commission will recommend lots of congestion charges. The government says, oh, yes, that's a very economically sensible thing to say and to do, but they never actually do it. And in the end, we don't get the infrastructure built. People come in. We have massive issues. We don't meet our emissions targets. And we don't improve housing affordability or reduce poverty. And to give you a sense of how much of an issue this is, we've got a report out today from... The uh, Financial Services Council, every year it does a survey of people, pretty broad and deep and quite a high quality survey, which asks people, um, how well off are you? How do you feel about your financial futures? Um, can you afford to pay a big bill if it turned up on your, uh, in your mailbox uh, this week that you weren't expecting? So we're talking here really about a car that breaks down and you need to spend $5,000 to get a car to... Uh, get going again or maybe the roof blows off the house or um, you're forced out of your house because of a flood and you have to come up with five thousand dollars at short notice to pay for all this well it turns out that 39 percent of people surveyed so about one and a half million people say they couldn't get their hands on five thousand dollars cash uh, within a week or two without going into debt so they haven't got cash put aside to deal with these sorts of emergencies and that's one measure of financial stress. Now, this shouldn't surprise anyone, given that a quarter of people who rent, a quarter of our households, so that's 157,000 households, we're talking a third of a million people, live in houses where they are having to pay more than 40% of their disposable income in rent. The numbers are much bigger, uh, more like a third of a million households, half a million people, who have to pay more than 30% of their disposable income in rent. What that means is those people, so we're talking here well over half a million people, are essentially in so much uh, um, housing stress, poverty stress, that if a car breaks down, they are in deep trouble. And they're going to loan sharks and all sorts of other things to deal with that. Is this the country we want to live in? Is this the, pl is this the place 
that is a rich country, full of competent people, a stable democracy, where one and a half million people are in such stress, financial stress, that if their car broke down or they had to leave their house because of a flood, they'd be in, they'd be skinned. That's where we are. So um, I wanted to leave it there because you can see a lot more in the email newsletter. And I appreciate um, all of those people who are paying for the email newsletter, which support my work covering these areas of climate change, inaction, housing unaffordability and poverty reduction in Aotearoa. Uh, I do that from uh, Auckland, but cover, of course, what's happening in politics, in the economy, local government uh, and beyond. Uh, keep an eye out if you're a paying subscriber uh, for The Hoon, which is our live webinar, out again at five o'clock tonight. I'll send the link and include the link in the uh, email newsletter. And of course, we have our Ask Me Anything at midday today, which paying subscribers can throw any question at me and I'll try to answer it in the comments section. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was the dawn chorus, well, a morning chorus, via the kaka for Friday the 14th of April. Kakite anō.